Hi, my name is Sophia Verghese. I am Justin's wife. I am a nurse practitioner. I have been working in uh, the medical field for 12 years now, seven years in critical care, and uh, five years under the hospitalist service. COVID-19 is an ugly virus. Um, it has definitely been emotionally and physically draining for me. Um, for example, today I was supposed to work 13 hours. My 13-hour shift ended up being 15 hours. So um, I just got home. <laughs> I didn't really have time to prepare for this, but I'm going to try my best. Um, it's seeing patients struggling to breathe, um, not having loved ones by their side, having to support family members emotionally, updating them, talking to them about really difficult um, decisions and choices that they would have to make and make it quickly has been, it's been taxing. Um, today, um, I had to call a family member to see what they wanted to do. The patient was very sick, very difficult, having a very difficult time breathing. Um, at this point, his organs were failing and um, needed to have dialysis, but um, really wasn't a candidate uh, due to all his other underlying conditions. Um, so I had to talk to the family about making this patient uh, a DNR, DNI, which means to not resuscitate and do not intubate. So if he has further difficulty breathing, we're not gonna be putting a breathing tube down, or if his heart stops, we're not gonna be doing chest compressions to bring him back or try to bring him back. Um, I think a lot of my coworkers have uh, been really burnt out, especially the doctors. Um, they really have to make these tough choices um, when it comes to who to intubate and who not to intubate and who would be the best candidates for intubation. Um, I don't think this is something that many of them have dealt with because um, we had enough ventilators and we had enough supplies and now we need to be cautious about how we use the supplies that we have, the ventilators that we have, and the staff that we have. Um, with all that said, um, it has been pretty traumatic both for patients, for healthcare workers, so um, this is what has been going on. and. I can honestly say that for me personally, um, I have definitely been feeling the prayers of many people um, on a daily basis. I definitely do um, feel God's presence with me and surrounding me as I'm at work. Um, there are days when I feel more tired than usual, and that's not like me. I tend to be able to do a lot of things and be okay, but these few weeks have been really, really challenging and really trying. Um, the one verse that comes to mind um, for me a lot, and especially this week, is that God is our refuge and our strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Um, 
and it is true you know um, things may be crumbling around us or within us but God is our refuge and he is our strength and it reminds me so much of how much we need him and how much we need to lean on him and I hope that I know that each and every one of you will have a story to tell and I hope that story will bring more and draw more people to Christ. The scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 31. And this is God's word. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. وأخذ يعلمهم أن ابن الإنسان لا بد أن يتألم كثيرا ويرفضه الشيوخ ورؤساء الكهنة والكتبة ويقتل وبعد ثلاثة أيام يقوم. مارك فوين 八章三十一节，从此他教训他们说，人子必须受许多的苦。alors il commença à leur apprendre qu'il fallait que le fils de l'homme souffre beaucoup qu'il fut rejeté par les anciens par les principaux sacrificateurs et par les scribes qu'il fut mis à mort et qu'il ressuscita trois jours après 인자가 많은 고난을 받고 장로들과 대제사장들과 서기관들에게 버림받으어 죽임을 당하고 사흘 만에 살아나야 할 것을 비로소 저희에게 가르치시되 이 comenzó a enseñarles que le era necesario al hijo del hombre padecer mucho y ser desechado por los ancianos por los principales sacerdotes y por los escribas y ser muerto y resucitar después de tres días morning welcome to easter service this is an important day for the church we celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ and we welcome you my name is uh pastor stephen now i'm one of the pastors at s city church and i have the honor to deliver the easter message to you you know in one verse we have the easter message we heard it in different languages and uh the whole summary of the gospel is summed up in chapter 8 verse 31 now ordinarily I would preach on the significance of uh, this particular last clause in verse 31 that Jesus must be killed and after three days he must rise again. But as you know, these are not ordinary days. Uh, In between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we have experienced an increased level of suffering and death in our country, haven't we? And these numbers are staggering and it continues to rise. And some of you have been so distraught with life right now, and I get it. And the good news of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, this this, um, resurrection that the whole church is celebrating right now, uh, is very difficult to understand and to celebrate because of what's going on. And this Easter message might just fall on deaf ears. Now, at S City Church, um, you know, we're not exempt from that. We have had many prayer requests coming in within our church and people who are connected directly with our community that are in a grave situation and need of these, these urgent prayer right now. Uh, many of us here 
and beyond are trying to navigate this new normal in our lives. And even the way we do worship in this virtual reality here, you know, it just tells us this is very different. Despite the unconventional ways of living right now and doing church, here's my hope as I share the Easter message with you today. My hope is that as you spend this morning with us on this Easter Sunday, I do not want you to miss this message of Jesus and the resurrection. You know why? Because if you get it, this is the hope that lies within you. We need it such as time as this. Now, our scripture reading prophesied, if you will, that in the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus had to do this. He's the Son of Man, that He had to suffer, and we saw that in Anger Friday. He also had to be rejected by the authorities, and He says that He had to be killed and be crucified on the cross. And that was all summarized in Anger Friday. But then the last clause is that He has to rise in three days. And here we are. The third day is here, the resurrection day that occurred 2,000 years ago. Now, to receive this full weight of the Easter message, what I need to do at this moment is to take a little time, and what I need to do is consider this new reality in which that we are in, in which that we are forced to be at this present time. Without reiterating the latest grim statistics of what is going on around the world, what we know is that we see this invisible enemy, this coronavirus, killing people and causing suffering, almost like dispensing suffering freely throughout this world. And, and we know that this suffering is no respecter of persons, whatever race or creed that you belong to, or rich or poor, powerful or marginalized. Everyone is affected. Whether you're a Christian or not, we are all affected. You see, unless we process uh, the situation right now biblically and not just understand what the Bible says about this crisis, but, but you personally have a biblical response to this pandemic, you will easily miss the significance of this present crisis that we are in. And if you miss what God is saying in this present crisis, then you will miss the full weight of the Easter message. So I'd like to ask you a question right now. How are you making sense of all the suffering and death that are before us? Hmm? And secondly, how is God then involved in all this? In other words, do you have a biblical response to the suffering and death and the evil that is around us? You know, in theology speak, there's a word called theodicy. And what, simply, what that simply means is that it is a wrestling with the goodness of God in the face of evil. We know the Bible teaches that God is good, and you juxtapose with the reality of evil. How does that happen? And that is theodicy. Um, when you consider theodicy, and it's an important term right now, it naturally asks these types of questions. First, people may naturally ask, did God send the novel COVID-19 to our world to punish us? And I emphasize the term novel 
COVID-19 is because it is a new virus. Scientists and epidemiologists have never seen this before. So the question is, did God send it to us to punish us? That's the theodicy question. The other questions are, while people are suffering and dying, which is reality right now, how can God be good? Another question, are believers then exempt from the virus and death because they are protected by God? Particularly verses like Psalm 91 or other verses that seem to insulate God's people from death and harm that you're hearing these days. Is that how we answered that theodicy? You know, theodicy also exposes our personal laments and perhaps complaints that we have against God that, may, that we may not have verbally um, said. For instance, theodicy brings these types of questions out. You may be saying, you know, God, I've been faithful to you. I'm trying to be a good person, moral. I'm trying to come to church and do my very best uh, to be a good person. And be good to others. And if that is true, then why did my hard-working husband or my faithful wife, why are they dying? Why are my loved ones in the ER grasping for their last breath? Why, perhaps, did my child die? These are very difficult questions. Or may also be wondering, why am I suffering so much? Why is death so much around me? What did I do to deserve this? Hmm? If God is good, why why doesn't he just stop this, right? A lot of us, well, not us, but a lot of the people that are on the front lines, particularly in the hospital, they're saying, I've witnessed so much death in my life in 20 plus years of practicing medicine, helping people. I'm seeing so much death. And they're saying that they're struggling with their faith particularly as they try to understand the purpose of God. So these are also theodicy questions, but they're more personal. Now, having said all this, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you land on these difficult questions and the complaints that you might be giving to God. But here's my point so far. If you do not have satisfactory answers to theodicy, how are you going to rejoice And how are you going to hope in a resurrection when doubts and questions still linger? It is a problem. This pandemic is a problem. Our loved ones dying is a problem. Suffering is a problem. Do you have answers to those problems? When it comes to theodicy, we have to understand something. That there are two types of evils. There's a a moral evil and a natural evil. Moral evil are horrible events that's caused by human beings. And the root cause of all that is original sin, the sinful nature that we have. And 9-11 is an obvious example of that. There are also, in terms of evil, natural evil. And there are also horrible events um, without any direct involvement by human beings. Coronavirus is an example of that right now. This, the, 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 the tragic tsunami of 2004 that hit a Southeast uh, Asia, Indonesia in particular, death totaling over 230,000 people, that is a natural evil. So are you wrestling with answers to theodicy? 
Um, I hope you are, and you must during this time. You know, uh, the religious establishment in the Bible uh, try to find answers to these kind of uh, uh, questions as well. And they have come up with explanations. However, uh, it's less than satisfying to resolve the Odyssey. Um, in Luke chapter 13, here's an incident that I want to um, share with you. Uh, this is a context when uh, Jesus was going around touring and walking with his disciples from town to town. And at that time, there was breaking news. Something tragic just happened in Jerusalem. And this tragic event caught the attention of everyone at that time. And let me read quickly here and just give you uh, the situation in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. This is what was going on. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, that is Jesus, Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, in this first case, there were two situations. In this first case, there was moral evil. There was atrocity caused by Pontius Pilate. Think about it. You go to church, you're an innocent worshiper, these God-fearing Galileans. Um, they were murdered by the government, and Pilate unleashed an attack on these worshipers. Now, were they just, these worshipers, were they just happened to be there at the wrong time? And the religious establishment in the first century will give an explanation to this moral evil, and this is what they would say. They said, these victims, these people who died, tragic, yes, but the reason why they died is it was due to their personal sin. That was the religious establishment's answer. And for them to resolve the Odyssey, they said they would say, bad things would happen to you because you sinned against God. And therefore, that is your just punishment. Now, you know, you hear this and you're saying that's ridiculous. But this is an example of how religious people still today, believe it or not, decry God's judgment on a sinful world. I don't know if you've seen this, but on social media and even in pulpits, there are religious people, conservative people who are saying that those who are infected with the virus are being judged because, of course, um, those who don't have it, they're protected by God. Now, as you can see, the problem with this answer to theodicy is that suffering is very shallow. It's just that suffering is your punishment. And you know, that's not biblical because it doesn't uh, uh, wrestle with the whole concept of suffering. Now, the second incident uh, that I shared in, in Luke chapter 13 it was, is an uh, example of natural evil. In fact, it was just an accident. And to make this point even firm, Jesus actually uh, not only answered the first situation and destroyed their argument, but Jesus actually volunteered the second story as a follow-up to Pilate's atrocity. That a tower 
just gave way to, and, and 18 people just happened to be there and just fell on them and they died. So, so, so this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, life was calm. Life was good. People were going about doing their business. They were living, they were working, and they are playing. It was all good. And suddenly, this natural disaster befalls them and people died. 18 of them from natural evil. Again, in this case, their religious response was that uh, very similar to how they responded to moral evil, but with this personal twist. Why, they would wonder, why would, would this calamity or the virus, for instance, why would this happen to me and my family, right? We've been good. Like I said, we've been faithful and moral. And why is God letting this happen to me? Aren't people as- asking those questions right now? And, and again, they would say, besides, I've covered myself with the biblical promises. Psalm 46, Psalm 91. And I've been, and I've been spiritually inoculated, if you will. Then, then why am I and why am I loved ones suffering? Our calm, you know, the life, the like life that I had been really disrupted with suffering and death. Why is this happening when, when I've been so good? And of course, that, that, that question and that concern um, with the problem of theodicy in this way uh, says that suffering, just a big question, and it's not resolved. And a lot of Christians, a lot of people who are trying to seek God, are coming to an answer. And it's not really an answer. It is really a suffering not resolved because they're left scratching their heads and still wondering. And if you're in that position now, because this natural evil has fallen on us very heavily, then you have to do something about it. Otherwise, you will lose your footing of faith in God. And that is unfortunately happening and and so therefore you need to pause and understand the good news of the Easter message. Now, before I continue, uh, let me pursue a couple of other thoughts of how various views about life, about how people are thinking about suffering uh, suffering and evil around us. Now, um, their Eastern religion is not just in the East anymore. It is everywhere. And people who are suffering and dying from the virus, they also have an Eastern religious response, whether you're Buddhist or Hindu or New Age or any type of Eastern uh, religious um, viewpoint. They have also a response to suffering, and uh, they don't blame God per se, and that's really interesting. Uh, but what they do is that there are, they are in a state of denial, because the Eastern religion believes in karma, that this life really is just passing through and is an illusion, and karma, uh, the, the end goal of life, um, is really what matters. So if you're suffering from the virus, Basically, you just have to go with it because there is reincarnation and it'll be better in your next life. Now, the problem with that kind of solution to theodicy is that suffering, the real suffering that you and I are experiencing, it merely becomes fatalistic. And basically, your response is, you just have to suck it up. Can't do anything about it. Deal with it. Now, is that helpful? 
the last worldview or thought that I want to share with you is uh, of atheism. And atheism will say, as they understand and see this uh, crisis right now, they will say, ultimately, um, there's no God. Uh, if there's no God, ultimately, the evil that is around us is just semantics. And there's no justice because there is no answer to those type of things. And there is, in a sense, no asking, why are we wrestling with this? So the theodicy that I'm proposing, wrestling with God and evil, uh, is not even a question. Because the atheists, they do have a solution. And their solution is this, and it's quite simple. They say, we just have to get through this. We have to survive this. We have to live well to the best of our ability and under our circumstances um, to put a positive spin on this matter. We have to be the heroes, right? Stay home. Uh, let's be positive about this. Let's keep posting happy and good-feeling videos on social media or just um, you know stream Netflix all day and just enjoy life, right? And the problem with that kind of a solution, although it sounds great and that's what our culture is doing right now, this kind of atheistic solution or suggestion of theodicy as it removes God from real life, uh, the problem is that um, it removes real suffering as well. In other words, what I'm saying is that atheism does not and cannot have any answer to real suffering today. I saw this play out on the news a couple of weeks ago. You know, because of the shortage of the ventilators in New York City right now, there were arguments going around saying basically, let the sickest ones die, particularly the elderly with those pre-existing conditions. You know, and then maybe they're composing one, maybe 2% of the population right now who are dying so that uh, uh, let's just, you know, let them die so that others may live. Why should we let the other 98, 97% of the population suffer because we don't have enough ventilators? Now, those arguments were not public, but, uh, but, but in one of the midday up, updates, Governor Cuomo uh, was on there uh, giving uh, the report. And, um, and what I caught was that he was firmly and passionately rebuking those who were arguing for that. Now, I'm not sure how religious Governor Cuomo is, but his rebuke to that type of view was really a slap in what academics call social evolution. And what academians call the survival of the fittest, right? Because if you don't think God exists, and atheists don't believe God exists, you know, uh, let the ones who can survive um, have the ventilators. And what Governor Cuomo did was he was preaching, even though he wasn't preaching, he was preaching on television, and he was saying with such conviction and firmness that every life mattered. And in fact, he said, the, the ones that you want to um, let, let die, they could be my mother, he said. They could be my grandmother. They could be my uncle. In other words, Governor Cuomo was personalizing 
all those people who are ill and who need and who are gasping for air to survive. In other words, Governor Cuomo is saying, these people matter. They are souls. They are human beings who have value. And he says on his watch, he will endeavor to save everybody. And that's why he was calling for ventilators. I hope you see this huge problem with the atheistic social evolution solution in our country right now. Even though it's not verbally being said, but it is what people are thinking. And that type of answer to suffering or answer to theodicy of the, for survival of the fittest does not work. Is that what you will put your hope during this crisis? Would you tell people who are dying, just go ahead and pass so that the strongest can um, take, continue? Are you glad that there are increased numbers of death in New York and the world so that the weak people, the marginalized people, and the old people can just die out? Is that comforting to you? See, I don't see atheists arguing for that right now, verbally. Because it doesn't work. And if anyone would dare to call that out, shame on them. You know why? Because whether you're religious or not, in your heart of hearts, it's not a satisfying answer. It is morally wrong. Because that argument is evil. It belongs in the pit of hell. One theologian said this that's worth repeating. He said, God whispers in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience. But God shouts in our pains. In, in, in a way, he's saying, he's saying, pain and suffering is a megaphone to arouse us in a deaf world. The novel coronavirus pandemic is a megaphone, friends. Is a megaphone to our sensibilities right now. God is calling us back to Him, who we have ignored for years. Please listen to the Easter message. This is the only solution to the problem of theodicy, friends. What is the Easter message? Easter message does not trivialize suffering, but it provides an answer to that problem. The Easter message is not an argument, but it is a person, a person of Jesus who died on the cross. Only Christianity can bring the polar opposite problems of a loving God and evil in this world in the most satisfying conclusion. So what is this? The essence of Easter is this. Again, going back to today's verse the last clause, that he must be killed. And after three days, he must rise again. See, God is not distant from suffering because he became part of the suffering. God doesn't ignore suffering or just kind of don't have answers to that or kind of make it utilitarian and let others suffer and others not. God does not do that. And in fact, the answer is that God put it upon His Son that Jesus must do something for the suffering, so therefore Jesus must be killed. The virus of sin that I talked about on Good Friday came upon Jesus, and Jesus was killed, and He died of respiratory failure on the cross. And the implication is that 
all the suffering that we are facing in this world, the agony of real death and suffering has a solution. Because this suffering, is the real suffering, is not going to be neglected, is not going to be uh, redefined, but it will take on significance because it will be killed. And Jesus took on death of suffering on humanity upon himself 2,000 years ago, and he did something with it. He destroyed it. And then so the second part of the gospel is that after three days, he'll rise again. This is where the solution of theodicy comes. So again, how can a good God uh, be good in the midst of suffering and evil? And the answer is because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Why is that important? Because the implication is that although you are suffering now, and although God destroyed evil and suffering 2,000 years ago and put it to hell, and although death is still with us and we're still feeling it, the great hope for you today is that no matter what happens, death is not the end. And the proof is that not only Jesus died, but he rose from the dead and he doesn't stay dead. That's the good news. So, so the death and the fear of suffering evil, it may happen to us, yes, just like Luke 13 says. But that's okay because that's not the end. Easter gives us not only good news, but here's even greater news. N.T. Wright, a theologian, he says this, We do not find a life after death in heaven, but, listen carefully, but there's life after life after death. A new embodied life in a newly reconstituted creation. And we see Jesus' resurrection not as a happy ending after crucifixion, but, get this, but as a launching of nothing less than new creation itself. The Easter message is not just about Jesus rising from the dead and taking us to heaven, which is wonderful, by the way. But it is more, it's even more than that. Because heaven and eternal life, friends, is not the goal. Did you hear that? The goal for Christianity, the goal for the Easter message, it is a new life. In other words, it's not just about heaven, but it's about a new life that we're going to have, a new creation. It is a new place, a new world that God is going to bring to us without coronavirus, without disease, without death, without suffering. Um, it is not just an eternal bliss, but a new creation, a new physical world that you and I will be with a new resurrection body. And we're not just going to be floating around in heaven doing nothing, but we're going to have a new life, a new existence, where it is the city of God, where God comes down and we are its citizens. And God invites you to join him because Jesus' resurrection has provided the way. And the way for you to be there is what Jesus said in Luke 13, repent. Just because these things are happening does not mean we're exempt. But when they are happening, our response should be repentance. Why? Because we should have been the one who are suffering. 
And because we're not, doesn't mean we're better. But our repentance keeps us humble and keeps this Easter message in our hearts so that we would have hope, not to be well and not for the economy to be better, but we have hope in the new life in the resurrection. I hope you receive that. God bless you on Easter Sunday and have hope in Christ. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that the Easter message will come through uh, the camera, through the internet, uh, through the virtual world, that whoever has heard the Easter message now, that you give them the hope of not only the resurrection, but the new life that we will have in Christ Jesus. I pray that you bring repentance upon us, the church and the world, so that we will constantly be humble and have the hope that is within us. Thank you, God, for rising from the dead. Thank you for taking care of suffering and death now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.